Hi, I'm Javay Walton, Manager of Corporate Recruiting and Program Lead for Vituity's Diversity and Inclusion Program. And welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. Today is the second of four episodes devoted to sharing the stories of a group of doctors who are kind, compassionate, driven, and smart, who lead in their fields and have given 110% of their talents to their work. Yet they have experienced biases, prejudgment, and repeated discouragement, all for one reason and one reason alone, the color of their skin. The road to a career in medicine is not a short nor an easy one. And I can't help but think of all the black physicians who paved the way for so many of our black doctors today. The hurdles and challenges they endured all to get back to their community where they saw firsthand the mistreatment, blatant biases, and in some cases, harmful experimental medical research trials being done for the advancement of medicine in America. These individuals didn't allow their race to stand in their way to pursue their dreams. Even today, yes, in a nation where we've had our first black president, there's still so much work to do. Many aspiring black physicians are still questioned about their journey into medicine. No, not when they first share their exciting news with family and friends of where they're going to go for undergrad. It's when they step foot on campus. It's when they enter the doors of their residency program. Questions like, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be a doctor? Maybe it's because Black people in America have some of the worst health outcomes and the highest mortality rates in the country. According to the most current data from the CDC, Blacks and African Americans over the age of 25 have the lowest life expectancy rate compared to any other race or ethnicity in America. Or maybe it's because you have a heart for people and you want to positively impact and improve population health outcomes. Or maybe it's both. Either way, you deserve to be here. So how do you turn what you have and what you give into being enough How do you reverse the narrative that Black people are not cut out for medical school? How do you navigate microaggressions on Black people in America when you migrate from a country that believes out of many, we are one people? Dr. Bridget Provost is an internal medicine physician who has a master's in public health from an Ivy League school that is one of the oldest public health master's programs in the nation and is rated among the best schools of public health. She continued her journey in healthcare by attending medical school where she encountered being ignored, endured working twice as hard to disprove stereotypes, and to prove her worthiness to become a physician. This is Dr. Provost's story. I don't have just one experience to discuss my journey to become a physician. Um, I have a series of it. Just like Dr. Bell, I am also an immigrant. I am from Jamaica. And in Jamaica, we don't experience racism the same way people do in America. And our motto in Jamaica is out of many, one people. So we are not Black Jamaicans, Indian Jamaicans, white Jamaicans, we're just Jamaican. So the idea of racism for me coming here was what you saw on TV, which was someone says the N-word, someone tries to lynch you. So that was what racism was to me. It was overt. Microaggressions were, was not something I understood or even knew about. Um, so I didn't experience things the same way. I can say the first time I started noticing things was in college. Um, when I went to college, I went to a very good school, but it was also a liberal arts school. And so you expected everyone to be open and loving and etc. But what 
I noticed was sometimes the faculty was not as embracing to black students as they were to other students. And I would notice that, for instance, if I went to office hours, sometimes they weren't willing to speak to me. I had an organic chemistry teacher. I went, it was office hours, his door was open and I knocked and he says, I'm busy. You need to leave. And I was like, okay, something else is going on. I back out. Another girl walks in and he starts talking to her. And I said, okay. I didn't take it as a race issue, but I'm just like, okay, this is a crabby man. I can figure this out myself. So then in college, you hear people make remarks about, I had a friend who was really smart that didn't get into this school and they shouldn't just let other people into the school. I didn't really know who the other people were because clearly I'm not an idiot. So I got into this school. So this was my mindset in the sense that none of this is applying to me. And then you start to realize that this is directed at you. These comments are not made to other students. These are not made to white students. It's always around black students, not even other students of color, but typically black students. And, you know, once I left college, I went and got my master's in public health before I went to med school and I got into Yale. Actually, Yale recruited me because Yale came to visit my undergrad and I spoke to the person that said, you need to apply to our school. So I can say I was recruited by Yale, right? Not everybody can say that, but that's how my mindset was. So when I got there, Yale was wonderful. Okay. It's an Ivy League school in the middle of a ghetto, but it was wonderful in that I was being taught for my profession. We are learning public health. We're going to teach you public health. And our job is to make sure you represent us in the best way. And the comment that was made was, we're teaching you for your career. So all the other factors were irrelevant. Um, student body was very diverse. Faculty was not as diverse, but I didn't get any of the same issues I had in college. And so my thought was, as you go further along in education, things get better. Until I got to med school. And I got into med school in Florida because my family moved to Florida. and. Our school, they did your didactic years on the main campus in Tallahassee and your clinical years in different satellite um, locations. During the didactic years, we had small group sessions and there was a topic that came up to discuss health policy, public health. I have a master's in public health. My focus was health policy. So I was able to discuss that and no one else could. And one of the students was like, how do you know this? Because she was trying to ask, where did I read it? And I said, I have a master's in public health. And she's like, oh, that's great. And I got pulled aside by the faculty who was teaching that small group and said, no one needs to know where you went to school because we know how you got there. Affirmative action is alive and well, and we don't need to talk about this. And I'm, of course, I'm in med school. Who, who are you complaining to? You know, you can't just transfer into another med school. It's hard enough to get into a med school. So this set the stage of things that were overt and blatant. So we were applying to residency. Our dean of the campus said, okay, everybody needs to learn how to write a CV so we can prepare you for when you're applying for residency. And I already knew how to write a CV because that was part of what they taught us in Yale because we were going into a professional career. So I had my CV. I had everything there. And I get an email saying, I need to talk to the dean and some professional that I didn't schedule an appointment. And I said, I didn't know why I need to schedule an appointment. I already have my CV. I go in to meet him and he's in there saying, you know, a lot of times in medicine, when people are quiet, it often indicates that they don't know anything and you're very quiet. And then he said, 
I looked at your CV and I couldn't imagine someone like you could have done all these things. And I didn't say anything. I don't know what my face did, but he turned red. He started fidgeting, started fumbling around with his words. And I said, is there anything else you need from me? And he said, no, you know, your CV was great. And I said, okay. When I matched, guess who tried to hug me to congratulate? So it, it was just an experience where you're like, you know, I've had enough of this school. I'm going to residency. I'm leaving that behind. Moving forward, there's a lot of all the improvement things in residency because of my background. I, there was one faculty in our residency that did all the research. So, of course, he snatched me to do everything he wanted me to do. In our second year, there was the decision to vote for chief because we had our chiefs in our third year. So when it came around to announce who was chief, I wasn't one of the three picked. Didn't think anything of it. People pick whomever they want. And then I got a big chunk of the interns that came up to me and said, we all voted for you. So how does this make sense? And then half the third year class was like, we voted for you. So I said, okay, I don't really know how to respond to any of that. And then that same faculty member who had me doing all his research was the only black faculty member we had. He was from Ghana. And he came to me and he said, um, you should have been chief. You were voted chief. But they didn't want you to be chief because their comment was, the blacks don't normally do well in our program. Now, I graduated residency in 2013. So this wasn't like 20, 30 years ago. You know, but the blacks, and you say it in front of the black man, that's there, you know, and he doesn't know how to respond to that. I'm not going to go in and demand that I be chief because clearly if you don't want me to be chief, you don't want me to be chief. But a lot of people were very angry. One of the current chiefs was very angry and went in there and yelled at the program director. And during that time, every one of the chiefs that were selected and faculty kept asking me to do things to help. You know, so I was good enough to do the work, but not get the recognition. I mean, achieve title is a good title. I mean, but the fact that I was voted, this was a diplomatic process. This was not, you know, favoritism, but they picked who they picked. And, you know, you go, okay, I'm going further in my career and the racism isn't going away. I'm not graduating out of any of this. I, it keeps happening. I leave residency, I start working. My first practice was actually nice. The, the physicians I worked with treated me as equals, even though they were much older than me. But then I had the issue of dealing with the staff who like to call me honey and sweetie. So then there's a layer of the woman doctor, the black doctor. If I corrected someone, okay, calm down. I don't yell at people. I'm not going to work yelling at people. I don't see the need to yell at people. But it's always as soon as you try to correct someone, someone gets upset. You know, she was mean to me. I mean, I've been in a few different practices where other docs yell and scream and charge up to the front desk for misscheduling and me saying, this is not how this works. And it's, we have to talk to you because they felt, you know, like you were being too aggressive. And knowing my personality, I'm not aggressive in, in that sense, but it was always directed at me. And, you know, one of the, the docs I worked with, which was a woman, she said, you don't want to get that angry label. and it was kind of interesting because I'm like, angry label. If everybody else here is yelling, what's the issue with me being angry label? But she didn't want to say you wouldn't want to be the angry black lady. But that's kind of where that was going. So 
you have that notion where people are treating you like you should be grateful for being there because they give you this position. But with everything I've done, I have the right to say and request how I want my day to go if everyone else can. And it just brought up more of, you know, you let things go and you move along. But then it also, you realize you don't have a lot of support as a black physician. You don't have it through med school, residency, or even in your career. And part of me wonders if it's because of everything you've experienced, you just shut that door on those times in your life that you don't go back to see if someone else needs help. You know, I would not like my med school to contact me (laughs) and ask me to do things, but you know, there might be students who are experiencing the same thing. Like Dr. Bell said, you know, you're taught the sky is the limit. But in America, black people are taught the limit is the sky. So you can go as so far as we allow you. And, and I think a lot of minorities think that, okay, we come here and we work hard, we can get ahead. And black Americans aren't getting ahead because of some issue they have, but not realizing that being an immigrant and coming here without that understanding and saying, you know, I just have to work hard and get ahead, we didn't grow up with that limitation placed in front of us. A lot of people of color and immigrants come in here and are reaping what we didn't sow, meaning that Black people fought for certain things for us to have, for us to be able to apply to these schools, to go to these schools, and are still excluded from it. And, you know, you look at these things and see that in medicine, you know, for you to apply to be a physician and for you to get an interview, that means you have qualifications. So why would anyone think you wouldn't deserve to be there other than for your skin color? Because no one knows what you look like until they see a picture of you, right? They see your scores and then they all of a sudden now, it's you don't deserve to be here. And, you know, with all this experience and all these years of working and all everything you've done, you realize so many things that have happened to just me. And a lot of it I've pushed back. And with this discussion about race and healthcare, it brought things back, which, you know, I thought I moved on from. And I think I still have moved on from them because I don't think I've dwelled on it. But it's a big issue to think of other people who may not have had the upbringing I've had or the attitude and perspective I have that some comments like that could completely crush and destroy them. And they have no one to look to. To help. And, you know, in fixing racism in, in medicine, you know, it's an everybody's job. It's not just for people of color. It's not just for black people. I mean, we're literally seeing statistics of black women having higher mortality rates in pregnancy and postpartum, regardless of education and financial socioeconomic level. We're seeing a study that came out that said black NICU babies survive at a higher rate when they're cared for by black doctors. You know, this is the reality. So something is is missing and something needs to be addressed. And in just seeing a few of our stories of us going through and still functioning every day and still trying to care for patients and not realizing so many things that come in your way that you have to circumvent or step around or step over. And you just worry about people who are trying to come up and trying to do the best they can and are being blocked every chance they can get. So I'm just hoping that hearing these stories that we have, that people understand that it's not just a one-time occurrence. It's a system that's been going on. And even people who come from other countries and come here still experience it. So imagine experiencing this from, you're like a kid in kindergarten. You know, this this is a, a long road to travel. 
Dr. Provost's story highlights how you can be the smartest person in the room, have a degree from an Ivy League school, yet still must prove your worth in becoming a physician. Being told by her dean, looking at your CV, I couldn't imagine someone like you could do all these things. Again, we cannot ignore the likelihood that these perceptions were likely prompted by Dr. Provost's race. Black medical students and physicians and other professionals often assume the burden of disproven generational negative stereotypes, which may feel like a 200-pound barbell weight on your shoulders because you want to uplift the entire race. It's definitely a balance act for Black medical students, focusing on studying, trying to navigate campus and networking where potentially no one else looks like you, and trying to create avenues so more people who do look like you have an opportunity to make change. Even though her extensive training, prestigious education, credibility, and validity was often questioned, with comments such as, Black people don't normally do well in our program, or you must have got here because of affirmative action, right? Dr. Provost's story reveals we as Black people are often first seen by our skin color and then recognized for our degrees and success. And then when we finally land the job of our dreams, we are then often called or referred to by names or words that devalue our worth of the position we worked so hard for. Sweetie, honey, son, kid. We're labeled as aggressive or angry or having poker faces that are not easy to read, which can be viewed as a code for, you make me feel uncomfortable. And then we're taught to just let things go to keep peace and move along. We are one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse country in the world. Yet the disparities in the healthcare system and education system among Black people is one of the least talked about issues. We need more Black physicians. Why? Because they are more likely to work in underserved communities, more likely to research topics relevant to the health and wellness of the Black community, more likely to mentor other young Black students who desire a career in medicine, but are unaware of the challenges ahead of them the moment they apply to medical school. The real problem is the lack of commitment to make systematic change. It's up to accreditation boards, hospital executives, officials in the education system, and private organization executives to dismantle the separation gap and must now put their diversity and inclusion statements to action. What if we find ways to increase STEM opportunities for Black students? Create formal pipelines with STEM programs? What if we partner with HBCUs investing in their health professional programs? And investing doesn't necessarily mean monetarily. Mentoring programs still work. If we are truly committed to improving the representation of Black students in medical school, and if we're truly wanting to build a pipeline of Black physicians through a more comprehensive, focused approach, we must begin by exposing the structural issues and ineffectiveness of solutions. I want to leave you with this quote that states, if your path is difficult, it is because your purpose is bigger than you thought. So I encourage each of you to stand in solidarity with Black students all over this country and remind them, you were meant for this. Thank you to Dr. Bridget Provost for sharing her story with us, to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Javay Walton, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Start at realtalk.transistor.fm, or you can follow the link in the show notes for this episode.